0: Our great God, thank you that by your spirit you speak the Bible to us. Uh, Please do show us the eternal realities. And please cause the sight of these things to change and shape us. In your Son, Amen. Lifeboat 14 went back. When the unsinkable ship betrayed those who trusted her, when the Titanic sank beneath them, It was equipped with a mere 20 lifeboats. They were filled and lowered. Actually, in the chaos, many of them weren't quite filled, but all rowed away in desperation to escape the sinking ship. Hundreds were left behind with no escape. At a distance, 19 boats watched the Titanic. Her crew and her passengers sank. They didn't dare return to help the people left in the water. They didn't want to risk being capsized as the desperate grinding tried to board them. They watched them sink. Lifeboat 14 went back. They heard the cries in the darkness and they went back and they saved a precious few. With hindsight, the the others regretted they hadn't done the same. The crew in lifeboat 14 risked all to save some. If they had regrets, it would be that they didn't save more. But they also lived with the joy of knowing those they'd saved were brought safely home. Revelation chapter 7 is a glorious picture of God bringing his people safely home. Everyone knows uh, this world is not as it should be. Uh, Jesus' people know that it is not how it will be. Revelation chapter 7 gives us a glimpse It's like a stadium where the eyes and affections of millions of men, women, and children are focused on the stage. Their delight is God on his throne and the Lamb who lives though he was slain. They know why they're there with the one on the throne and the Lamb. They know the love and care of the God who saved them. We just read it. To see what's going on, though, in chapter 7, we really need to rewind and to go back to the beginning of chapter 4 and watch what happens from there. Uh, These chapters show us eternal realities. They show us God in heaven, history under his hand, judgment and salvation at the end. I want to keep asking, how does seeing those eternal realities shape us? I'm going to move fairly quickly uh, back from chapter 4 to chapter 7. I won't tell you every verse I'm referring to, but I will mention some of them just to help you uh, keep finding your way through with me. Chapter 4 begins, John shows us God on his throne. Around him there are four outrageously impressive creatures. But all they seem to constantly do is call out in awe and amazement. They call out in awe and amazement at the greatness and the holiness and eternity of God on his throne. And round them, still further out, there are, looking inwards, there are 24 elders. They wear gold crowns as marks of their greatness. But in God's presence, they take the crowns off. They fall on their knees. They worship the truly An absolutely great one. It's like they're thinking over and over, how in heaven can we have marks of greatness on our heads in the presence of the absolutely great one? So you have these outrageously impressive living creatures continually saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The 24 elders, they have the continual and constant and fresh realization of God's glory. Over and over they throw their crowns off, which honor them, and they honor God. They cry out, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The perfect and holy and eternal God is worthy of all praise from all his creatures. That's chapter 4. Beginning of chapter 5, we see God on his throne, holding a scroll. It's sealed with seven sails. An angel asks, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its sails? And the silence is deafening. It seems no one is worthy. And the writer weeps because he understands the picture. God's plan is on that scroll that he holds and it is sealed. And no one can open it. So God's plan will remain incomplete. Undone. Verse 5, one of the elders says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. In verse six, between the scroll, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, we see a lamb standing as though it has been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. It's picture language to show us the resurrected and enthroned Lord Jesus. The lion is the Christ descended from David. He has conquered. The lamb is the pleasing sacrifice who is raised and lives again. The one who rules with all authority. The one who has sent forth his spirit. He can bring about what God planned. He can bring history to an end point in judgment and salvation. And the worship goes up a notch. The ones who spoke the holiness and eternity and glory and honor and power of God on his throne, they now sing a new song. And they sing it to Jesus. I want to have constantly and always spoke of God's glory, honor, eternity, holiness. Now sing of Jesus. To Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. He can bring history to its end point of judgment which includes rescue and salvation. He can do it because he died. Because he, he bought out from under judgment men and women and children from among all the nations. And all heaven joins to say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them says, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Jesus is worthy. God's plan will unfold. And in chapter 6, Jesus begins to open the sails. At his hand, history unfolds according to God's plan. Each one, as Jesus permits it, each one of four horsemen come forth. They manage disaster, they deliver death, but they come when they're told. They do as much as is given to them and no more. They act under the authority of the Lamb who opens the seals. Even the death of Christian martyrs is under His control. Over and over in the book of Revelation, we're given this very clear perspective as layer upon layer upon layer is given to help us see and understand the time we live in history unfolds according to God's plan. And it unfolds under Jesus' sovereign care. You and I need that perspective. We need to see clearly if we're going to understand this time we live in. The events of our lives unfold according to God's plan. They unfold under Jesus' sovereign care. No matter the disasters that strike, we can trust God who sits on the throne. We can trust the lamb who was slain and lives again. Chapter 6 verse 12 to 14. When Jesus opens the sixth seal, we see the end. John uses end of the world language drawn from a whole bunch of Old Testament books to show us that it is the end. That's what all those pictures are about, verse 12 to 14. 15 to 17. It's God coming to judge all who reject him. Now this is God's strange work. He doesn't delight to do it. This is the beginning of a glimpse of all that we all deserve. Describes what lies ahead for those we rub shoulders with Monday to Sunday who remain unforgiven. It's a warning to you if you remain unforgiven. So chapter 6 verse 15 shows us all sorts of people running. Uh, Kings, great ones, generals, rich, powerful, slave, free, everyone. He mentions no exceptions. They all run, and they all run from God as he comes to judge. They try to find somewhere to hide. They try to find anywhere to hide. In caves, under overhanging rocks. But they can't. They can't hide from God. There is no escape. And in desperation, verse 16, they cry out to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Do you see what's happening? Rocks and mountains falling on them isn't the judgment. It's what they would prefer to, what they want more, what they'd rather happen than face God as judge. It's the last ditch attempt to escape it. It's tragic. But it's fair. The God who comes to judge is the living, true, and holy God. He acts with justice. When he comes to punish, all creation will recognize that what he does is just and fair. There will be no injustice then. There will be no injustice from this life left unanswered. At the same time, as he judges, every circumstance will be factored in, every influence considered, every intention weighed, every outcome assessed. Just right. The living, true, and holy God will do exactly and precisely what's fair. He loves his creatures, and he does not delight to judge. But his fair justice will be severe. It's tragic that he will judge, and doubly tragic to hear those who are about to be judged crying out, Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb? Hide us from the anger of the one who was slain as sacrifice. Hide us from the one who was judged in order to free people from judgments. It's doubly tragic. These ones are not free. They flee from Jesus at the end because they did not trust him in their lives. The one who was punished to bring forgiveness comes to punish the unforgiven. He will come to punish the unforgiven. the end of the chapter, we hear the helpless question, who can stand? And apart from Jesus, no one could stand. Not one. The end of history would be judgment without rescue. What John sees next is not what happens next. Uh, We've already seen the end in chapter 6. Chapter 7 rewinds before the final judgment. Uh, John sees four angels holding back winds. Uh, Another angel comes with a seal, with the seal of God in his hand. Uh, He calls out chapter 7, verse 3 Do do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Then John sees all of God's people from every generation sailed and gathered. Uh, First, the 144,000. Uh, Each one numbered, every one sailed. All of them protected. All God's people gathered. Then verse 9, he says, A great multitude gathered from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. More people than can be counted. People from every ethnic background. All gathered before the throne and before the Lamb, all clothed in the white robes of victory. And the volume of all their voices rises as they cry out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And their human voices are joined by the voices of all of heaven saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. They are there because God saves. They are there because God saves through his son. Every one of them is there because Jesus died. So here they are in victory clothes. Uh, they're conquerors because Jesus conquered. They're, they're free from sins because the lamb has slain and ransomed them. Well, sorry, the ram who was slain has ransomed them. Verse 14, their filthy clothes have been plunged into a basin of Jesus' blood and the filthy clothes have come out whiter than whites. It's a strange image, clothes dipped into blood and coming out white and clean. But it works, doesn't it? They stand before God in clean white clothes because of Jesus' death. Every individual, every person in that great multitude is accepted and stands because Jesus shed his blood for them. They get to be part of the world we all want. The world where there is no more crying or dying or pain and shame. And verses 15 to 17 give us a glimpse of that. They don't hide from God on his throne. They serve and honor him. They benefit from the blessing of his shelter and care. There's no more hunger, no more thirst, no more attacks. Because the Lamb is their shepherd. The one who laid down his life for them keeps them in eternal life. And God wipes away every tear from their eyes. God's rescued people get to enjoy the world we all want where there is no more crying or dying, pain or shame. We get to be with God who is on his throne with the Lamb who was slain for us. We get to be with them at the end. Meanwhile we wait. We wait like people who are safe in a lifeboat and know that we will one day be brought safely home. Everyone knows the world we live in it is not as it should be. Jesus' people know it is not how it will be. And a key to living with joy and groaning about the things which are truly worthy being groaned about. Well, it's living with our eyes on the end. We need to see what God shows us. We need to see the eternal realities. If there's a to-do list from this passage, then the first thing is see the eternal realities. God pulls back the curtain on heaven and history and the end so we can see it. He wants you to see what's truly true, what's really real so that it can shape how you see him and his Son how you see those who trust in Jesus, how you see those who don't yet trust in Jesus. He wants you to see what he's shown you and to let it shape your thanks and praise, your prayers, your words, your actions. That's what faith is, isn't it? Faith is hearing God speak and acting as if it's true. Because you're convinced it is. It's tuning your head and your heart and your life to his truth. We're seeing God in heaven and and history under his hand and and judgment and salvation at the end. How how does seeing those realities shape us? Let's spend a few more more minutes um, about (laughs) what head and heart and life tunes truth looks like. For one thing it includes being aware of your absolute dependence on him he made you you live in this bit of history which unfolds according to his plan you and i ought to do what the 4 and the 24 do constantly we ought to honor god and thank him the mere for thank him for the mere fact of our existence honor and thank him for every good thing that we experience in life. Seeing eternal reality shows us our absolute dependence on God and his absolute control. History unfolds according to his plan. Jesus rules it. Disaster and death, persecution, even martyrdom aren't things that just happen. They happen under the the, the control and care of the lamb loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood see when you say that you can mourn and grieve and groan at what isn't as it should be and isn't yet as it will be mourn and grieve and groan and trust trust his care I know it's the spirit who groans with us, seeing eternal reality adds thanks to our pleasures and hope to our groaning. Well, I guess it adds hope if we know which side of things we're on and we're on the among those rescued. History is moving towards judgment and salvation. There'll be no more, no renegotiating. Then you will either see the Lamb come in wrath to judge, or you will see Him come to bring you home. Now, if you haven't gone all in with Jesus yet, you, you can see, having heard all this, why we think it's all importance. Nothing is more important. We want to give you room if you're curious, uh, if you need time to be convinced to work things out. After all, faith is hearing God speak and acting as if what he says is true because you're convinced he is. We want to give you time to work it out. But you do see how important it is, don't you? Your eternal future hangs on how you relate to Jesus. If you're still exploring, we really want to help you explore, help you get clear. Now, if you're convinced, but <laughs> but you've been holding back for one reason or another, you can see as we you can see in this that there's no reason good enough to hold back from following Jesus. Jesus is good; his death is your only way to avoid his judgment. He will bring all his people safely home, and you see something of how good it is to be brought safely home. Now, if you've been trusting, it's helpful to see what you've been saved from. How grateful would you be to someone who pushed you out of the way as a rock was falling and about to crush you? How much more grateful would you be if they pushed you out of the way and you knew, they knew, they would be crushed after they got you out of the way? You'd never forget it, would you? Live every day realizing how good it was that they received you. And Jesus did infinitely more when he suffered for you. He experienced your judgments so you can be forgiven. Just this little glimpse today, let you help you see what he did. Think about it and dwell on it and thank Him. Live to please and honor Him. Praise Him. Praise Him in your private prayers. Praise Him in our public singing. When you get to talk to to us about Him, when you get to talk to those who don't yet know about Him, praise Him. Speak about how great it is, what He's done, what He did for you. Seeing eternal reality changes how we relate to God. Our Father, the Son. It changes how we relate to one another. You get to be part of tuning our lives to eternity. It's easy for any of us to lose focus on reality, to, to think that all we see is all that matters. That's simply not true. Our Sunday gatherings are glimpses of what it will be like to gather at the end. The days when we're caught up as we sing uh, together the glorious reality of who God is and what He's done. A glimpse. A glimpse of the ends. The times when our distracted heads and hearts are captivated by fresh insights into our Father's love towards us. In Christ. It's a glimpse. The delight of loving and forgiving brothers and sisters who have wronged us because we've learned love and forgiveness from the Lord Jesus. Our gatherings are they're, they're glimpses of the ends, they're glimpses, but they're also guards. At the end, all God's rescued people will gather. While we wait, being part of a local church, well, it's like being in a lifeboat waiting to be taken home. We're already safe, but we're not home yet. I don't push the analogy too, too far, but don't downplay the significance of what we are to one another. While we wait, the Bible's main reason for the church gathering, for the church as a community, It's to remind one another to hold on to Jesus, to live for Jesus, to stay with Christ until the end. God working through us to keep you trusting his son. God working through you to keep us trusting his son. He does that by His Spirit through His Word, as we speak it to one another. When we see these eternal realities, we see that love and commitment to one another. Well, it, it does devote, causes us to devote ourselves to seeing one another keep in step with the Spirit and not lose heart. So today, and for how many other, many, many years there are ahead of us until Jesus returns, let's keep reminding one another in the midst of the difficulties and the distractions and the attractions of life that there is more than this life. That our experience is not yet what it will be, but it will be being taken safely home. We can trust Jesus to bring us safely home. Meanwhile, we wait, and while we wait, there's room for more. Uh, there's room for more people in the lifeboat. There's room for and there's room in the ocean for more lifeboats. Room and sojourn for more people. The room in Brisbane and Australia and the nations for more churches. The picture at the beginning of chapter seven is a picture of our time. Judgment paused so God so God's people can be marked out and sealed. He holding back the judgment while God's gospel is being shared and people are coming to trust in Jesus. God adding to the number of the people who are saved, who will rejoice in the glorious day. Uh, We see the reason for the delay. We, We see the coming judgments. Well, it changes what we think about our time, doesn't it? It changes how we relate to those who we rub shoulders with Monday to Sunday. They're all immortal. It gives us a deeper passion for evangelism. Not evangelism as an impersonal task that someone somewhere ages ago said, you really should do. Because God says you should. Evangelism as the meeting point of honoring the Lord Jesus who suffered for us and loving men, women, and children who desperately need what He did. That's the love that's going on when we speak about Jesus, isn't it? It's loving Him by proclaiming Him. It's loving those we speak about Him to because they desperately need Him. The, the drift of our lives with no sight of heaven or history or the end, that can be inward and inclusive. Drift into a bubble with fewer and fewer people who are more and more like us. Uh, Countless Christians have no real relationships uh, beyond the Christian bubble. Our Lord was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He accepted them without approving them because he wanted to save them as they heard his gospel. Heaven and history and the end push us out in generous inclusive love. A generously inclusive love which longs to see Jesus rescue the people we already rub shoulders with, the friends we haven't met yet, the people out around Brisbane and Australia and the nations. It's love which orders our lives around seeing them meet Christ Jesus. Because he's worthy and they need him. Revelation shows us history, shows us God in heaven and history under his hand and judgment and salvation at the ends. How does seeing those eternal realities shape us? It gives us perspectives doesn't it? We're waiting. We're waiting in a lifeboat, not a lounge. One of many lifeboats, one of Precious few churches locally, precious few churches globally who are declaring the Lord Jesus. And of course, we, we want to be like Lightboat 14. We're going back. Heaps of churches are going back. Heaps of believers are going back. Some of you will end up moving away to other places, other being part of other churches in the long run. While you're here, I want you to have these instincts built to live out of the eternal realities. In the way, way you relate to God in heaven and the Lamb who was slain, and you concern and commitments to brothers and sisters, and seeing them stay safe to the end of their days, are continually saying, Keep trusting in Jesus, in concern and commitment to those who don't yet believe, in declaring Jesus to them that they might turn in trust. So, obviously, while you're here, I'm going to keep urging you to be clear about how vitally important it is to be part of this local church. Be part of the crew of this church. Part of the crew which keeps going together. Part of a crew who can depend on one another to work. To work together in meeting and knowing and speaking the gospel of the Lord Jesus to each other that we might persevere in meeting and knowing and speaking the gospel of the Lord Jesus to men, women and children out around Brisbane who don't yet know him as their Saviour. Who, if they remain unforgiven, will meet, we'll meet Jesus who suffered. Bring forgiveness as their judge. We'll be a crew who live and serve in living relationship with God, loving Him, loving one another, loving everyone else. So, as we see God in heaven, as we see history under his hand, as we see judgment and salvation in the end, well, let's, let's ask, how does God showing those eternal realities continue to tune us more and more to living in step with what really is? Let's ask God to tune our heads and hearts and lives to eternity. Let's pray. Father, please do grip us by what's really real and truly true. Thank you that you show it to us, that you show it to us throughout your scriptures, that you show it to us here in this passage we've looked at this morning. Please do convince us of the truth of what you speak. please cause us to trust you, to live as if what you've said is true because we're convinced it is. Please help us to love and serve one another well as we think through how these eternal realities can shape us in the short term and in the long term. We ask it through your Son. Amen.